on the emerald island of Buan, along the archipelago to the east of Veldrun, lay the village of Ardben. It sat nestled in the rocky foothills that jutted up out of the water and towards the sky, surrounded by ancient forests of oak, chestnut, and buckthorn. Beside the village was a river that ran down to the sea. Upon the river was an old stone bridge, laid in ancient times by ancestors who had long since been lost to memory. And across the bridge, deep in the woods, lay the barrow. An unwitting traveler could walk by the barrow and never even realize it was there. The crypt was a massive mound of earth, covered with ryegrass, and seeming by all outside appearances to be nothing more than a small hill. Its mouth was a simple archway made of three stones, two standing taller than any man, with the third laid atop them. After only a few feet, darkness shrouded the passage deeper into the warren, leaving the imagination to speculate as to what terrors might reside within. Just outside of Ardben, across the river, lived a farmer and his family. Their home was almost as old as the town itself. Many generations had lived and died within its walls. Life was not easy, but they cultivated a living from the rocky soil with food to spare. Their storehouse was well supplied and, unusually, free of vermin. This was thanks in large part to the fluffy ginger cat that had decided to make its home there. Cats, as you are likely well aware, come and go as they please, and this one was no exception. It came to the farmer's barn of its own volition and decided to stay. Mice and rats vanished as the mouser set to its task. The children of the household all fawned over the creature, which soaked up equal parts affection and sunshine in the breaks of its diligent work. A pair of golden eyes staring down from the barn rafters quickly became a familiar sight for the farmhands going to and fro throughout the day's labors, and it wasn't long at all before the cat had established itself as a permanent fixture of the household. It was near midnight. The faintest trace of moonlight shone through the clouds, and the hearth had burned low when the knocking began. It sounded through the house, three sharp raps upon the door. The farmer awoke and rubbed the sleep from his eyes. No visitors were expected, especially at such a late hour, but he nevertheless went to the door to see who could possibly be there. Surely it must be a matter of urgency to have merited rousing the family in the dead of night. He moved to open the latch, but was brought up short. The cat was standing near the entrance with its back arched and its fur on end. Its gaze was fixed upon the door as it hissed and snarled interposing itself between the farmer and whatever lay outside. The reaction gave the farmer pause. Cats hold a special place in folklore. Tales from far to the south gave rise to the concept of cats having nine lives, while folk on the mainland claimed that a cat may act as a sorcerer's familiar. On the Isle of Veldrun, cats were reputed to have a sixth sense for spirits and fairies. Though Ardbin may not have been part of the island proper, Everyone in the village knew of the legend. And, of course, there was the matter of the barrow. Folklore did nothing to assuage the villagers' fears over the structure. As with many ancient burial sites, 
details had emerged over the years to explain how it had come to be. One of the Aishi, the Fair Folk, was said to live there underground, amongst the dead. He was a mean sort, quick to anger and rumored to steal away the wicked and drunkards to serve him in his hall. None of the denizens of Ardbin dared to venture within the barrow to verify or disprove the legend, of course, and so the story came to be known amongst all who lived there. Few people lived on the barrow side of the river for that very reason. A kernel of fear caught in the farmer's mind. Perhaps the neighbor who had come calling at such an unseemly hour was not human. He spoke sharply, asking the mysterious visitor who they were and what business they had with him. In response, three more strikes landed upon the door, stronger and more insistent this time. Again, the farmer demanded to know who was there. The room was silent and still, except for the cat. The creature still hissed in agitation, lashing its tail back and forth as it stared at the door. The tension stretched for an endless moment before three blows crashed upon the door once again, rattling it in its frame. The farmer rebuked the unknown being. The door would not open and whoever, or whatever it was, was not welcome. Silence fell. Just when the farmer thought his heart could not take it any longer, footsteps echoed into the distance. The cat regained its composure and returned to its comfortable sleeping place by the hearth. The night passed without further incident. For better or for worse, the identity of their visitor would remain a mystery. Welcome to a world very much like our own, but with a crucial difference. In this world, folklore is rooted in stark reality. My name is John Kernett, and I'll be guiding you through stories of strange events, close encounters, political conflicts, and tragic history, all set in a unique world that blends reality and mythology. This is the Wayfarer's Compendium. In the same village, there lived a shepherd named Broadham. As the sun rose each morning, he would drive his herd across the old stone bridge to the barrow side of the river, where he would allow his sheep to graze in the pastures nearby. Broadham thought himself rather clever for this. If no one else dared to use the meadows, then simply by being bold enough to pass near the empty tomb, he would have his pick of the area with no competition from his fellows. His friends and neighbors, of course, warned him against such dangerous acts. Only a fool would run afoul of the fair folk. He laughed off the warnings and told them that, upon his word, he would never again cross the river to graze his sheep if and only if the supposed barrow elf himself would tell the shepherd to do so. And he went upon the day's business. 
It was a beautiful spring morning. The sky was clear, and the last traces of frozen dew upon the ground were fading. As Broadon called to his sheep and ushered them into the woods, he realized that he was not alone. There, crashing through the underbrush, went a hound. It was massive, standing almost as tall as a man's chest, with a shaggy gray coat and friendly golden eyes. Without a word from the shepherd, it went after an ewe that had strayed, nipping carefully at its heels to bring it back into the fold before moving to the man's side and sitting. A wide grin spread across its face as it panted. Broadon was confused, to be sure, but there was little time for idleness with his herd still on the move. He set back to work and was pleased to find that the hound took to the task with gusto as well. The day passed splendidly, and the two of them led the sheep back across the bridge at dusk. The shepherd called for the dog to follow him across the bridge, but to no avail. The beast simply turned and trotted back into the forest, where it disappeared amongst the trees. The next morning, the dog was back, waiting on the far side of the river with its good-natured smile and alert golden eyes. Broadon and his canine friend fell into a comfortable rhythm in the weeks that followed. At dawn, the dog would wait for the shepherd by the bridge, and at dusk it would bid him farewell as he crossed back over to Ardben. His herd prospered under the shaggy beast's careful watch. Not a single sheep was lost in the wilds, nor was a single lamb taken by wolves. His neighbors had a difficult time believing that such a fine hound had mysteriously emerged from the forest to assist the shepherd, but nobody could deny the evidence in front of them. They came with Broadon to the bridge at dawn, and the creature was waiting patiently for them, wagging its tail as the herd of sheep crossed over. The villagers marveled at how well-trained it was, how gently it guided its charges, and the beast's endurance as it circled the herd. Many jokes were made about Broadon's luck to have found one of Kerwidden's own hounds out in the wilderness. One evening, however, as the shepherd drove his sheep towards the bridge, he found his way barred by a rider on horseback. The man was clean-cut and garbed in a fine cloak of red and black silk, with a wicked sword hanging at his side. His steed was a towering creature, black as pitch. Its breath hung in the cold air as it snorted and exhaled. The rider spoke sharply and demanded to know who had so rudely trespassed upon his land, for all that lay this side of the river was his domain. Broadon explained to the arrogant lord that he had simply crossed the river to graze his sheep in the fields. Clan Lewa, the rulers of the island, had no such laws against grazing in the commons, had they? He was free to go where he pleased with his livestock. The rider shook his head gravely. This is not any clan's land, he said. It was his. If the shepherd was so foolish as to trespass day after day, then the rider would make sport of him as an example to the rest of the village. With the threat hanging heavy in the air, he drew his blade and advanced upon Broadon. The shepherd backed away fleeing from the oncoming horseman. The pounding of his heart mixed with hoofbeats as he ran, desperately racing to escape his doom at the hands of the elf. All at once, 
new voices joined the chorus. The baying of a hound, the frightened whinny of a horse, and the snapping of jaws. The loyal dog leapt upon the horse, tearing at it with his fangs and sending it bolting away back into the forest. Broadon fled across the bridge and reached the safety of the village as the faint echoes of hooves faded into the distance. And he never again crossed the river to graze his livestock in the meadows there. Leary was known throughout the village of Ardbin for being a drunkard, a braggart, and a lout. He was a large, brash man with a ruddy face and a pugnacious disposition, fond of both boasting and fighting. When he set to drinking, as he often did, he would inevitably scoff at his fellow villagers' superstition regarding the ever-present barrow across the water. On one warm summer night, as he finished off his fifth pint of ale and began on his usual digression regarding the barrow, he was brought up short. His brother had heard enough out of Leary and leveled a challenge at him. If the barrow was so harmless and the elf so feeble, go then and visit the crypt that same night. The intoxicated man rose from the table and declared that he would do so and come back with a trophy from underground to prove it. He made his way out of the village, down the winding path to the bridge, and from there across into the forest. The nightingales sang through the trees, their haunting melody carried by the warm summer wind. The river fell behind him as he strode through the shadows. He whistled along with the birds as he went deeper into the wilds. Gradually, as he approached the crypt, his confidence began to wither and fade. Boasts and brags were all well and good by the light of the tavern's hearth, but the darkness of the woods was an entirely different matter. The trees loomed over him, and the shadows they cast seemed to stretch into an infinite void. He jumped at every gust of wind and snapping twig as his nerves frayed. The protective cushion of inebriation was beginning to taper off, and his good sense was returning in force. What was he doing out here, alone in the darkness? If the elf was a myth, what was there to prove? And more importantly, if the elf was real, what was he doing taunting the fairy? He slowed to a halt. There, barely visible in the distance, lay the entrance to the barrow. A tall archway, capped with a single wide stone, led down into the depths of the earthen mound. The darkness within the tunnel was oppressive. By comparison, the traces of moonlight that shone through the canopy above Leary seemed bright as day. The rapidly sobering man weighed his options. He could see the barrow, couldn't he? He tried to convince himself that there was no need to go inside. He was practically there already, only a hundred paces from the entrance. Surely none of his friends would hold him to his claim that he would retrieve a trophy from the tomb. As he bartered with his own pride, a sound echoed down the path. Hooves. From within the barrow, a movement could be seen, ever so faint in the darkness. Leary's courage broke. He turned and bolted back along the path towards the village. Whatever was emerging from the cavern, he wanted nothing to do with it. 
His breath was ragged and thin as he barreled down the trail. He could hear hoofbeats growing louder and louder, the noises echoing in his ears like the beating of drums. Through a clearing, around the bend, ducked between trees and crashed through the ferns. A fallen branch caught his foot mid-stride, sending him tumbling to the ground in a cloud of dust. Something touched Leary's hand. Above him stood a horse, though no horse had been there before he fell. It nuzzled gently at him, pushing him up as he hurried to his feet. Its coat was a warm chestnut color, bleached to a dark gray by the moon's pale light, and its eyes were bright and golden. It spoke to the man. If you have no spurs upon your boots, then climb astride my back and let us make haste. The fellow behind you is a mean sort, and it would not do for him to catch you upon his land. Leary was astonished. He asked the horse how it could speak as men do, but it laughed and answered that it did what it pleased, and if it pleased it to speak, then it would speak. The sound of hooves behind the man was getting louder and louder. It would only be a moment before the rider was upon them. Panicking, the man asked the horse how he knew he could trust it. The horse replied, Oh, you certainly can't. But supposing that your other option is the barrow elf, you may wish to trust me even so. And so the man climbed onto the horse's back. The wind rushed past the drunkard as he clung to the fairy horse. It careened along the path before veering into the trees, not slowing down in the slightest as the branches whipped at its hapless rider. Leaping over rocks and fallen logs, through ravines and then over them once more, the horse gleefully carried its charge on a death-defying course through the woods. Only once did Leary dare to turn back and look upon their pursuer, and he was greeted with a terrifying sight. Close behind them, a rider, cloaked in black and red, gave chase, his silvery sword flashing in the moonlight. The drunkard closed his eyes and clutched at his steed's mane, praying to Buanan that he would open his eyes to find himself safely back in his own bed, a terrifying night ride only a dream. All at once, the wind stopped. The hoofbeats faded. He cracked open one eye to see the bridge before him and the village past that. The horse spoke again. I shan't bring you any further, for I cannot cross the bridge. You should go now to your bed. You are too drunk to be wandering at night. Good evening to you. And the man stumbled across the bridge, safely home once more. Leary's neighbors were dismissive of the tale. Understandably so, with the scent of strong ale still hanging on the drunkard's lips. But he insisted that it was true, and found a believer in one man, a shepherd who claimed to have seen the elf as well. The descriptions were identical, down to the color of his cloak. Leary's story may not have been believed, but it nevertheless sparked a new legend on the Isle of Buan. If you find yourself across the river, you may meet the guardian fairy of Ardbin, a puka that delights in helping mortals and confounding elves. Over time, the villagers gave the fairy a name, Ardshi, the fairy of the hills. It may speak to you, it may not, but you can always recognize it by its brilliant golden eyes.
If you enjoy the Wayfarer's Compendium, the best way to support the podcast is to share it with your friends. Thank you for listening.